Good morning. I'm Kathy. Um, I'm from the Mission in Nelson. Um, my family have had a long history with people from this church. My mum used to sing with Michael um, in the 80s. Not to make you feel old there, sorry. <laughs> um, it's really nice being here this morning. I've had such a good time already uh, at worship. You've got some talented people here. And your children are particularly cute. Um, I love the laughter. I feel like God must just like you because you're in his house, you're having a good time. There's clearly a lot of love and joy here. So thank you for allowing me to come and be part of this. It's fabulous. And I hope this morning the message I've got for you is going to be something that helps you keep that um, joyful spirit of laughter that you seem to have in abundance here. Um, and Julie's worked very hard on me with this PowerPoint this morning, so let's have our fingers crossed. Do I press a button now? Oh, it's there. Fabulous. Good work, Julie. Okay, how to dial down the drama. Now, by drama, I don't mean the nice BBC period type that comes on a Sunday evening and involves bonnets, because I quite like that kind of drama. By drama, what I mean is big conflict over small offences. Do you know what I mean? Like when small arguments happen between two people... And then it's a week later, and now there's ten people involved, and you're involved, and you didn't even care that much in the first place, but now you're involved in meetings, or text messages going on into the night, and three other people have fallen out, and actually this whole thing's crumbling into a mess. Ever been in that situation? It's not just happening in churches. It happens in work, in family situations. One of my colleagues at work, Janet, um, she had a family barbecue and her sister texted her and said, could I bring the dog to the barbecue? And she went, mm, no, I don't think that's a good idea. It's only a small garden. There's going to be meat. Um, my dad's not good on his feet. Anyhow, they've not spoken for two years. <laughs> it escalated. There was arguments. I have another friend who is um, who married a minister of a small church. And the moment she got there, she has been under three-year pressure to do the church flowers. And my friend, I love her. She has many talents, but flowers isn't one of them. She doesn't care less about flowers. She doesn't mind if they're there or they're not, but there's this pressure on her because she married a minister. So she must do the flowers. And the amount of stress the church flowers have brought her is unbelievable. And as I started putting this message together, I thought it would be very important to say from the start, it's really important nobody make eye contact with anybody else. Try not to look at the drama queens in the room. No, I'm looking because I don't know who you are. Try and keep your elbows tucked in and no accidentally nudging somebody. Um, Because we don't want to make more drama today. Now, on their own, these things are quite silly and unimportant, and I think we can see that. But once you're in it, man, it's a minefield. And uh, Proverbs 16, 28 says, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. And whilst drama might seem a bit silly, and we need to remember as we do this message, drama, big conflict over small offences. So if in a minute some of the things I say might sound harsh, we need to remember we're talking about small offences, not big problems, not big issues, small problems. But drama is bad for us for many reasons. For one, it's time-consuming and wearying. Drama sucks people into conflict And it can cause really long-lasting resentment. 
Drama spreads gossip. And you know, in the Bible, gossip is really serious. We sometimes try and minimise what it means today, but when you look at passages that talk about gossip, it's in the context of much bigger bad problems. Romans, um, when describing people who fall into sin, says they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. So there, if you look at the context of gossip, it's just one word away from being God-haters. We don't want to be God-haters, do we? So drama spreads gossip. And drama distracts us from much more important things. You know, an example of drama in the Bible is when Jesus heals a man with a crippled hand. And the Pharisees don't say, wow, oh my goodness, this man's hand has just been healed before our eyes. This man can go to work. This man is freed from this deformity. Wow, God's just done a miracle among us. All the glory. Wow, God loves us. They go, Jesus, how disrespectful of you to do that on the Sabbath. And now, Jesus, we have to have an argument about you doing this on the Sabbath. And now we have to be in disagreement and arguing because you did it on the Sabbath. And the big important thing we're going to ignore and we're going to focus on the little bit that doesn't really matter. Do you get what I'm saying? You've been in that way. You're suddenly... You're consumed with a drama and you know in your heart that it doesn't matter, but it's too late. It's snowballing already. Drama is a platform for being self-centered. It's all about me and my feelings that you've hurt. And this is what I think about the situation. This is what I think you should do. And this is my agenda. And this is my will that I want to impose on others. And altogether, especially in church, it dishonors the name of Jesus. We can't honor what God has done for us if we're fighting amongst each other or fighting other people or causing um, relationship breakdown over things that aren't important. Paul um, summarizes drama quite beautifully in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 20. He writes to the church and says, I am afraid that when I come... You may, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. Or in other words, drama, drama, drama. It's not a pretty picture. Now the good news is that God's word actually gives us lots of teaching of how to deal with drama and how to dial it down. How can we reduce drama in our lives? How can we stop it snowballing from a small thing to a big thing? How can we stop ourselves getting into conflict with each other when we don't need to be? And how can we stop ourselves missing out on the important things God has got for us because we're distracted by petty dramas? And that's what I really want to share with you this morning. So we've got five things. The first one, if you want to reduce drama in your life, is to let it go. Hence the frozen song. Only people with toddlers are consumed by that. My daughter loves Let It Go. She can sing the whole thing. It's not annoying at all. <laughs> um, Proverbs 17.9 says, Whoever would foster love covers over an offence, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. So when we're talking about minor things, one of the best godly, righteous things you can do is just let it go. You don't have to answer every insult. You don't have to follow up every offence. Every time a friend is thoughtless, sometimes you can just say, okay, 
And a key to letting go of things is learning the difference between a speck and a plank. Jesus said, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And a slight point there. You know when we do things wrong, we make excuses and allowances. And when other people do the same thing wrong, we make judgments and punishments. It's a really human thing to do because we know in ourselves, oh, I was tired that day. Or you don't know what else was going on. But for somebody else, what they've done is inexcusable, even if it's the same thing. Jesus reminds us that actually we are judged by how we judge others. So if you don't want to be judged for every careless, thoughtless, daft thing you've ever done, forgive other people when they do careless, daft, thoughtless things. And they do them all the time because we're people. He goes on to say, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is brilliant. (laughs) I've never heard anybody else explain it so brilliantly. You know, the things with speck, if you had a speck in your eye, that would hurt. That would be annoying. You wouldn't want a speck of sawdust in your eye. You'd want it gone. The good thing is, it's fairly easy to get rid of. You blink. You try and make yourself cry. You have a little gentle move, and it's easily dealt with. But if you're going to have a friend come and help you remove a speck from your eye, you'd want somebody who you really trust and somebody who is very gentle because they're about to get near your eyeball. So when we're dealing with specks in our lives, we need to be really, really gentle and really, really light-handed because it's not a big thing. If it's a plank, that's more serious. If somebody had a plank in their eye here, we'd be dialing 999 and in a panic and the service would not be happening. Planks are those other issues that were in Romans 1 that all slander, malice, cruelty, sexual depravity, anything like that. That's a plank and when planks are involved, you need to deal with it. But this morning we're talking about specks. Some of you see a speck and you do this. Oh, I know that's a speck, but really it could be hiding a plank behind it. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and you're getting confused because the more you try and fix the issue, the more they're getting annoyed and angry because you think you're arguing about one thing and they're arguing about something else, but they haven't told you it yet. And you're halfway through the argument and then they suddenly go, but it's not about the party. It's about that you've never liked my mother. Or or it's not about the meeting, it's about your lack of communication. Or it's not about the flowers, it's about your attitude to God. And suddenly you're like, whoa, I'm in a much more serious argument than I thought. And sometimes I can see the logic behind that. Sometimes something is a sign that there's something deeper going on behind it. That can happen. But a word of advice is if you take every minor disagreement and try and use it to shoehorn in a much bigger problem, you're never going to get anything done. You're never going to make progress. Because it's really, really hard to have a reasonable conversation if you're just trying to fix the flowers and they're trying to fix your whole attitude to God. You're not going to get anywhere. But the flip side is, if every time you have a minor disagreement and you can't let it go and you have to deal with it, If you just focus on finding a good solution to that little problem, for both of you, over time, if you keep doing that, those bigger problems will become smaller 
and you'll tackle them. Do you know what I'm saying? You just take one little step at a time and try and walk that step in good relationship with each other and eventually those big problems will diminish and the process is much more pleasant. So when something happens that makes you feel hurt, cross, offended, annoyed, try and take a step back and ask, does it really matter? Did that person really try to hurt me? Because you know, most of the time they didn't. And if they did, even then, so what? You actually don't have to have everyone like you. You don't have to have everyone approve of you all the time. And you know how infuriating it is to people if they insult you and you pretend not to notice. Or if when somebody's petty to you and you repay them with kindness, oh, it's genius. Proverbs says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. So win-win. Okay, let's move on. Second way of how to dial down the drama. Don't recruit a gang. Yeah? (laughs) Jesus said, if your brother sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. It's really tempting when somebody hurts you to go around 10 other people before you speak to them just to make sure everybody is as shocked and as offended as you are and to gather the sympathy before you even begin and to get your side of the story out there first. It makes sense, but it escalates the drama. And do you know what? Part of the motivation behind that is sometimes to punish the person who hurt you. And you know, as Christians, it's never our job to punish one another. Sometimes we have to discipline, but discipline's aim is always restoration. Discipline is about helping somebody get free of sin so that you can be in good relationship with one another. Punishment is about hurting them so that they don't hurt you again, or hurting them so much that they know exactly what they've done to you. That's not what we're about. The aim, Jesus says, is to win them over. And to have a friendship and a relationship that works for you both. The aim is for their good. And you know what? It's not for their good if they're already in the doghouse with ten other people because of what you've told them. So when you can, when you can't let it go, when it needs addressing, go straight away to the person involved and deal with it between the two of you. That is the easiest way to reduce drama. It's simple maths. Two people involved, small. Ten people involved, big. Next point. We dial down the drama by stop feeding the fire. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. That's Proverbs 26. Sorry, I think that's verse 20 to 21. But it's definitely Proverbs 26, so you can check that later. (laughs) Okay, so drama is like a fire. It dies out when you stop feeding it. You don't need to talk about it endlessly. You don't need to pick over it over your lunch. You don't need to be on your phone into the middle of the night texting different people or sending emails. You don't need to do the he said that, she said that, she says this, what did they think about that? How do you feel about that? What did they say when you said that? Have you not said it yet? I'm going to go say it. Especially if you're not involved in the conflict directly, you don't need the details. You don't need to know the ins and outs. Talking about it endlessly, it stirs up all the emotions of what's going on, but it doesn't bring it any closer to fixing it. And remember, we're talking about minor issues here, bigger stuff we need to talk about. 
Um, Paul wrote to Timothy about some people in the church. He says, besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. You know, there's three reasons why we talk about drama. Remember, we're talking about minor offences here, so not big problems that need talking about minor things. We talk about drama either because we're in it and we want people on our side. Two, because it's entertaining. My workplace, it's a college, Accrington Roswell College, a few years ago, rife with drama. And, and I held my hands up. I used to find it funny. And there were times when people were falling out and there were meetings and there was so much weird stuff going on. I used to say to my colleagues, I kind of want to bring popcorn today and just sit. And after the meeting, just sit and watch and see what happens. There's a reason why soaps are successful. We can find drama entertaining, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's good for us. And the third is, actually, especially in church, people end up talking about drama because they actually sincerely want to help. And some of you are great shoulders to cry on, you're sympathetic, you feel great compassion for people in the drama. And the thought is that if I'm there and I'm listening to you, you will feel better after speaking to me and maybe you'll... I'll have helped. And sometimes it does, but you know, I've seen in church, and I'm a leader now, so I see even more. Sometimes people want to talk of the problems all the time, and actually whatever you say and whatever you do, it doesn't calm their fears or their worries. It just stirs them up, because as they talk about it, they're getting crosser and crosser and crosser about it. And actually, one of the best things you can do is say, look, we've talked about this for a bit now. I've told you what I think. I think it's time we talk about something else. I think it's time you moved on from this. I don't think this is healthy. Because, you know, some people go from one offence to the next offence to the next offence. And once one drama's died down, they find something else that upsets them. And I want to give you kind, patient listeners out there permission to say sometimes you don't have to be available for every drama going down. You can just say, no, I don't think we need a meeting about that. I think you should just do this and that's all I'm saying. Now, that will take some practice. (laughs) But I promise you, if some of you are getting wearied and burdened by other people's problems, it is okay sometimes to say, this isn't a good use of your time or my time. You need to forgive that person, you need to let it go, and we need to move on to more important things. And in fact, not talking about things can be the best way to dial down drama. Job had his three comforters who talked lots and lots and lots. He filled 30 chapters of that book. But in chapter 13... Job realises they're not helping him, and he yells out, If only you would be altogether silent. For you, that would be wisdom. It's harsh. But do you know what? I think God says sometimes the best wisdom you could have in this situation is just shut up. You don't need to talk about this again. He says it nicely in other parts. Proverbs puts it a bit more gently. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. So yeah, I advise you, if you can, dial down the conversations. But when you do have to talk about something, Ephesians 4.29 is really good to have in mind. Paul said, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So what's unwholesome talk? Unwholesome talk is name-calling catastrophizing. So if you or somebody says somebody, oh yeah, well, because they didn't include you in that email, clearly they don't respect your ministry. And actually, I think they've not liked you for a long time. You see what I'm saying? 
Um, violent language, yeah, just, I walked past some students in college the other day and they were talking to each other and they're going, oh, what, so you're going to do him in then? <laughs> I stopped like, please, are you, are you really talking about a physical fight? And they went, okay, okay, good, good, please don't. And if you were, would you do it quieter? Because when you talk like that, we have to have meetings. I don't want another meeting. Swearing, cruel mocking of people, all unwholesome. But what is talk that builds others up? Simply anything that points people to the way Jesus would have them handle it. If your advice points people to what Jesus says about these issues, what Jesus thinks about them, what Jesus would have us do, that is good talk that was build us up. And when you're not sure, that's when you're quiet. You say, I'm not going to say anything until we look at what do you think Jesus would have you do. Any words that make the situation better are helpful. Words that calm down tempers are good. Words that raise tempers up are bad. So stop feeding the fire. Point four. We dial down the drama by remembering our common ground. Paul said about a man who had sinned in the church, do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. That's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You know, many people, even the ones who cause you grief, haven't really set out to hurt you. So don't paint people in your head as villains behind your suffering. Most people who rub you up the wrong way haven't even realised they've done anything unreasonable. Jesus said, whoever is not against you is for you. And you know what? We all have our drama queen moments, even me. But you know what? We need to remember at the end of the day, we're actually for one another. In church, we're united by Jesus. In your family, you want your family to get on well. You don't really want to, your family to suffer. And in work, when people wind you up, you're all just people trying to earn a living, get the job done, and get home. People don't really set out to be villains. So let's not try and make them villains in our heads. You know, even in the New Testament, Christians fell out with one another. They were both still Christians. It's just these things happen. Paul mentions um, a couple of ladies in Philippians whose names I can't pronounce. So as I read this scripture, I'm going to give them new names, but just pretend I didn't, okay? I plead with Eunice and I plead with Cynthia to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. These women were fellow apostles who had gone around preaching to people about Jesus. And yet obviously something has happened and they're in disagreement. And Paul's writing to try and get these women reconciled. And to do that, he just reminds them they have a common cause between them. They have worked together for many years and they're going to spend eternity together. Their names are in the book of life. So you might as well start getting on now. So we need to make sure that we safeguard our common ground between us. It's more important than anything that could divide us. Now, I say that with one slight warning. So we're talking about drama here, but occasionally there are people in your life who do seem to enjoy making you miserable. Occasionally there are toxic people. My friend um, was in a, had a friendship for years and years and years, and this friend just made her miserable. And after a while she said to me, do you know what? I've realized it's like she wants to be my best friend and with me all the time, but she doesn't actually like me. And everything I think, do or say annoys her and upsets her, and then she has to punish me for it, and I never know where I stand. 
Somebody who treats you like that, whether it's a boss, a boyfriend, a friend, don't use this teaching in that relationship. That's not appropriate. You just get out. If somebody seems to want to be your best friend but seems to hate you as they're doing it, get out. Run, tell somebody. Okay, I'm just saying that as a warning because I don't want you to use this teaching and stay with somebody who's out to hurt you. You with me? So that's something different. If it's toxic, get out, get help, do whatever it takes. It's really, really bad for you to be in that kind of relationship. And it's not okay. But when we're talking about drama, big conflict over minor offences, try and remember the common ground we have between us because that's much more important. And then the final point is to keep turning up and keep doing good. Hebrews 10 Verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Sulking exacerbates a conflict. Me and my husband have a no sulking rule in our house. Uh, if, If there is conflict, if there is an issue, we are not allowed to sulk or have the silent treatment. We can take a time out and go and do something else, my husband's um, awful because when we have an argument and he needs some time out, he goes away and cleans and he tidies up and he'll do something useful around the house. And I've told him, this is not good motivation for me <laughs> to treat you well. What are you doing? <laughs> He's really good. <laughs> but we don't sulk at one another because it doesn't help. You've got to keep coming back, turn up. If you have an argument as a couple, one of the best things you can do as soon as possible is give each other a hug <laughs> or have a meal together. You know, we had um, a man in our church called Ron Jackson. He'd been part of our church since he was in his 20s. And for his 90th birthday, we didn't have a message that Sunday. Instead, we invited him to come and sit on a chair on the stage, and we interviewed him, and we got him to share his testimony and share his life wisdom with us. It's one of the best services I've ever been to. One of the questions we asked him was, how do you keep church unity? 70 years in the same church, actively serving, how do you do that? And he said, you just keep turning up. You just come back. He says, we all have weeks where we've had an argument or had a fallout or you've been cross. He said, the best thing you can do is come back the next Sunday, worship, keep serving, keep going to the life group, keep praying together, don't run away, keep coming back. It's one of the best things I've ever heard. If it's at work, keep going back to work. If it's in your friendship group, Get in touch with them again. Now, the first time you're in a room with somebody after an argument, it is awkward. I wish I could tell you it's not. It is. But do you know what? It's like diluting something in water. If you want to dilute a bad memory, you have to create more good ones. And you've got to do it quickly and repeatedly. One of the best um, stories my friend ever told me, Leanna at school, when she was a little girl, her dad told her off for something. She couldn't remember what, but her dad told her off, and so she started to cry. And because she was crying and upset, she went around the house looking for her mum to get a bit of a cuddle and some comfort. But then she realised that her mum wasn't there, her mum was at work. So she was crying, she wanted comfort, so she just went straight back round to her dad, who told her five minutes before, oh, daddy... And he picked her up and gave her a cuddle. Because she knew that even though it was a dad who made her cry by telling her off, her dad was still her source of comfort and support. 
And you know, we need to remember that too with the people in our life. Even when sometimes it's been our friends who've upset us, we can actually go back to our friends for comfort and support too. And those are my five ways to dial down the drama. Let it go. Don't recruit a gang. I've gone too far. Don't recruit a gang. There we go. Stop feeding the fire. Remember your common ground and keep turning up. And you know, we all have our drama queen moments. But maybe in 2019 we can commit to having a year of less drama. Especially in the church. Because you've got important work to do. You don't have time for drama. You don't have time for arguing over things that don't matter. Your families have got much better things to be doing than falling out. And in a church, we've got a God to worship. We've got families to support. You've got people to reach, a town to serve. You've got a real enemy to fight. You've got people to help, miracles to see. And, you know, we've got a God who's got such wonderful things for us. He doesn't want us to waste our life on drama and infighting and having worry and staying up at night over things that don't matter. He wants us to enjoy the really good things he's got. So let's say no to drama. Let's say yes to grace. Let's say no to holding on to the little offences and say yes to grabbing hold of God's big purposes for our life. Amen? Amen. Lovely. I'll pray. And I'll hand back to Ian, who is in the room somewhere. Okay. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your word is full of rich wisdom for us. And Lord, I pray for anybody here who has been um, burdened with fights that have spiraled out of control. I pray for those who have been up at night worrying about what others think and what they're going to do and say. And Lord, I pray that you give them peace. And Lord, I pray that you teach us all to be better equipped at letting go of things that might upset us and taking hold of the important things that you've got for us. And Lord, I pray for this fellowship that they will be unified. Um, and I pray that that spirit of laughter and joy that they've got, Lord, that you will safeguard it and protect it and that it may increase and overflow. I pray that where this church walks, where they go to work, where they go to the hospital, the doctors or the schools, Lord, will you just bring your peace with them and may their wisdom um, spill out and bless the community that they belong to. Lord, I know that you look at this church with great favour and love and that they're um, a delight in your eye. And I just pray that you will make this church shine brighter, that more people will see the good in them and have chance to witness you and come to know your love through their service and their worship and their lives before you. In your name, amen.